Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahachko, and joining me for our weekly therapy session, for lack of a better term, not not to make light of, of therapy, but for our weekly uh, reconvening of the sad Husker fans chapter, you know, you, you know coordination group anyway wait we're here to talk uh we're here to talk about the huskers and it's hoss reuter hoss uh we just talked before we started recording eight in a row and that's a streak that you love to see if it's the other way around if it's eight no yeah not eight in a row eight losses in a row so yeah if it's notching eight in a row in the uh, left hand column it's a it's a damn good thing, but when it's in the right-hand column, things are a little uh, morose uh, in Husker Nation. To say that they are bleak is, I think, an understatement. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to how do I how do I say it? I'm I'm not giving up hope. You know, uh, I'm the eternal hopeful optimist, sucker, whatever you want to call me, this is going to get, the ship will be righted. Uh, it, it's, I feel like right now we're Odysseus. We're trying to get home, but man, we've got some really big obstacles in our path, but we're going to get there eventually. If I remember the Odyssey correctly, we get home eventually. I think maybe somebody's, you know, taking over our throne or something like that, but we're going to get home. Do you remember the Odyssey? Am I am I on the right path, or or is that a is that a missed metaphor? You're on the right path, and I think it's a apt metaphor. Um, everything you know, what's been going on this season, the past eight games, the past twenty years in Nebraska football. <laughs> I kind of think uh, it's been quite the Odyssey, and. Uh, we're only we're only halfway home. We got a long ways to go still. We, uh, I don't want to, in in any way, put a, a time frame on this because we don't know. We don't know how long. We didn't think that we were going to start zero and four. Uh, you know, obviously by the time Purdue would have been in the books, when you're looking at this in mid August, we expected an Akron game to be in there. We, I think, as Husker fans collectively, were like, okay, you know, after Purdue, we're probably going to be four and one is you know the worst case scenario maybe we go up to the big house and we stun Michigan and we're 5 and 0. I don't think anybody in in Husker Nation saw where we're at right now. And if they did, they probably should have put some money on it and be like, "Yeah, Nebraska is going to be winless, you know, 2 weeks into the Big 10 schedule." Yeah. If they saw this coming, they should have gone to Vegas and uh collected their winnings and go build a nice uh, vacation home on the Lake of the Ozarks and enjoy themselves for a very long time because I would have, if you had told me 
on August 31st that we would be 0 and 4 on September 30th. I would have thought that you needed a someone needed a full psychiatric evaluation. Right. It's, yeah, I would have thought that was pure lunacy. Nobody saw this coming, and and I go back to you know I think probably what I said last week, and that is we all bought in, and I I say that not in a you know way that Scott Frost claims that some of the guys perhaps haven't bought in, but we all bought in to the off season hype, you know the. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know the the return of, of the prodigal son, and oh my gosh, you, you know this we're going to return Nebraska to relevance and prominence, and back to a place that Husker football should be. None of that is off the table, I don't think. It, you know it, because we're four games into the Scott Frost era. I think where we collectively went awry is we expected it to be overnight. Yeah, um, and a lot of that was the off-season hype got out of control. It was, you know, perpetuated by the media with their comic book series right. on Frost hiring. It, the whole comic book series kind of struck me as the same as you don't build a statue for somebody who's still alive. You just, you don't, you yeah. know. And to kind of... Frost is a great coach. I mean, he proved that in his turnaround at UCF. His acumen as an assistant speaks for itself, too. His reputation precedes him. But you don't lionize somebody before they've coached a game at the place they're now at. And it was like a veil got dropped over the fan base in the entire state of Nebraska, forgetting that we went 4-8 and eight last year, that we were a moribund, ineffectual, below 500 football team. And those things don't get erased overnight. Uh, You can improve upon them. Like Bob Stoops walks into Norman in 1999 and goes 7-5 in his first year. But by and large, you're not going to see a huge jump. It's going to come in, you know, incremental improvement. But for the the off-season hype to spin out of control and then this to happen, which... Even though I was steady at seven and five as a prediction for this season, no part of that seven and five ever foresaw zero and four. Right. So, um, it's just it's like we're living in the twilight zone of college football. And I mean, first of all, you're not wrong. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out to our our friends who. You know our our slight our, our slight enemies uh, now. We're not they're not enemies. They're just on a different site. But uh, the Big Red Copcast after the uh, Michigan game, I, I was listening to. I, I'm a little behind on all my podcasts, so it's not just theirs. But I was actually listening to their post Michigan episode uh, after you know well earlier today as we record this on Sunday. It was earlier today, um, and Pat the Stat. That's a hashtag. Uh, said that you know if you look at what he had, he had done the math or done the research, but from the last twenty one games, I think Nebraska's won like six, six of the last twenty one games. Now you know six of the last twenty two, or maybe it's eight. But anyway, it's sub five hundred football, which is yeah, yeah. I'm not. 
I want to pref I want to word this very carefully, um, but that's you know obviously worse record. Are we? Let me ask you this: Were we better off with Bo Pelini and his flaws and winning nine games every year than we were with Mike Riley coming in, ho humming his way to you know four and eight in his third season and the situation that we're in? Not well, again, not knowing what the future holds. Hopeful that Scott Frost turns it around, but not knowing for sure. Well, I'll say this. Firing Bo Pelini was still the right choice. Okay. In Bo's defense, I will say that the past four years, you know, three and a quarter seasons since his firing, it's shown that going nine and four was nothing to scoff at. Even though we all desired more, even though we all, you know, aspired for this program to be more than a perennial nine wins and four ugly losses per year. But the decay of Nebraska football was going to happen eventually. You saw, you know, the recruiting was not getting any better under Bo. He did not uh, keep up with the modern trends in football, you know, adjusting, you know, his defense, the schemes to fit against modern spread offenses. So it was going to happen eventually. So two things can be true at the same time. And those two things are, it was not a mistake to fire Bo, but it was a mistake to fire, or to hire Mike Riley. Okay. It was, you know, when you look back in 2014, you think, man, you know, it was, you know, the, the talent on the roster was going downhill. You were losing, you know, going into 15, you're losing Amir Abdullah, Kenny Bell, Randy Gregory. But there was still enough to, that if a good coach who was a little bit more of an iron hand when it came to culture, you know, more of a strict behavioralist, more so than Mike Riley would have walked in, things could have been a lot better instead of a uh, culture of unaccountability running amok right. and being a social media paper tiger that wins at press conferences and not on the field. Let's... You know, we, we can't worry too much about the past. It's, it's the past. And, and I say that knowing that what we're going to do is talk about the past, and that's more recent past, and that's the Purdue game, which, you know, is why we uh, convene twice a week to review one game and preview the next. And, oh, Lord have mercy, we got to go to Madison this weekend, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, you know, the what happened, I think, you know, what, let me rephrase. I think what was going to happen happened just a little bit more. Like David Blau certainly was a factor, uh, you know, an experienced quarterback. I think he has potential at the next level. Uh, you know, he good arm. He made some very right uh, decisions, um, and particularly, you know, and I, I love Kevin Kugler, um, and and uh, Millen is not my favorite color analyst uh, out there but uh you know when when nebraska's in a man coverage and they uh, only rush five you know and everybody's picked up that leaves a lot of space for david blau to take off and run and pick up you know which he he gouged us on some third and longs um and that's you know it, it's rinse and repeat uh for nebraska it was penalties turnovers and 
inability to get off the field. It's the same things that we've been talking about since the Colorado game. Um, mm-hmm. And you heard I, – I watched it. Full disclosure, it was a 2.30 Central time kickoff. I got around to watching the game at about 7.30. Um, I've, I thought I, mean, I ended up going to church Saturday night. I was like, I'm not going to start the game just to, you know, turn it off 15 minutes in, shower, shave, get ready, go to church, come home. Uh, we, My family went out to a, an event in downtown, in our, in our downtown called the uh, Food Truck Fest. We had a bunch of food trucks that were there, and you can kind of, you know, pick and choose what kind of food you wanted to eat, and there were bounce houses for the kids, and uh, uh, the Budweiser Clydesdale was there, and the St. Louis uh, Blues mascot was there. It was a really nice uh, little event, and we did that, but we didn't get home till about 7.30, so I turned the, the game on. I had, I, you may or may not have noticed, I wasn't in the Slack chat room at all. Uh, I wasn't on Facebook or Twitter until, uh, you know, after the game. Uh, but I, I did text my buddy because he had sent me a message on Facebook, and, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm not watching the game at the moment because he's a Husker fan, and, and I didn't want, you know, I said, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just not watching the game. If it's Husker-related, I'll have to catch it later. He said, yeah, it was a tweet from Fopolini. Uh But I didn't get done watching the game until about 10.30, even with fast-forwarding and everything else. But everything went up. Uh, <laughs> You know, so I didn't have a chance to, to chime in on you know social media with with any quips or anything like that because it was all you know old news. Um, but yeah, I just I forgot where I was going with this thought. <laughs> all of that build up to get to a point, and then I dropped the ball. Um, but yeah, it was it was you know the same mistakes that Nebraska's been making. Oh, I know where it was going now. Uh, my buddy Josh, he says. Make sure that you catch what Scott Frost said after halftime. You know, they didn't show it, but the sideline reporter says that, uh, you know, Frost is seeing the same guys make the same mistakes and that he's sick of it. Uh, you know, just like Husker fans are and, you know, just like the players should be. You know, they're, they're making late hits, uh, you know, personal foul penalties, just things that, you know, there's one thing to be aggressive, but there's nothing to play stupid. And a lot of the guys, I mean, the guys who are picking up some of these late hits, you know, being out of bounds or, you know, when, when someone's already in the ground, it's just stupid. And Frost had every right to be ticked off. Absolutely. I mean, you preach all week about not hurting yourself, you know, no self-inflicted wounds. Then you got guys making mistakes and um, getting penalized for it and it's just, or just missed assignments. It's maddening and that's not even touching the surface of how just poor that officiating was in general um that was some of the worst officiating i've ever seen at some point it's like big 10 conference needs to have a referendum on that officiating crew because that was bullshit and but yeah to to that effect like i said josh is my you know he's my husker buddy who uh, was keeping me informed while I actively told him don't don't give anything away uh, but he's like man he said I'm just going to warn you uh, third quarter and into the fourth quarter man the refing was so bad he said I've never heard Memorial Stadium quite react quite like that uh, to the official I mean yeah sure enough I mean it, call after call and, and the the chorus of boos from you know 90,000 strong or 70,000 strong whoever however many were left you know at that point um but all in all, 
I, I was excited. I, I sit home. You know, my son's still up, and Nebraska goes down opening drive and scores. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and, uh, and then Purdue went down the other way and scored. Mm-hmm. And they scored. And, and you know what's, what's so maddening about that is that first drive we came out and, you know, Bo Wilson starting at right guard over Tanner Farmer. And we go down the field and we're clicking on all cylinders. And then I think it was the second drive, our second offensive drive, the penalties start accumulating. Yep. You know, the unnecessary roughness on Gerald Foster. Um, they missed a call where a Purdue defender totally cheap-shotted Mike Williams in the back. And then, you know, that threw us off. And the next thing you know, Purdue's going up. You know, they're up 17-7, then 20-7, and we're chasing points the entire way. And about the only silver lining that I can take away from this game is you saw the offense grow up a little bit. I think Frost became a little bit better of a play caller in this game. And, you know, being able to unleash Martinez on quarterback runs and Divino Zigbo having himself a big day. I know he finished with over 150 yards rushing, but do you remember the, the final tally? I think it was 170. Okay. I mean, that's that's, that's big. And, and that's the first 100-yard rusher that Nebraska's had since he did it last year. Uh, yeah, against think, Wisconsin last yeah. year. And 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 I mean, I, we we know Maurice Washington didn't practice. You know, the mm-hmm. the announcer said that there was a bit of a bug, uh, you know, going around the team. And and uh, uh, it just again, you know, it, it's it's a winnable game through and through. But Martinez got you know himself a little bit like Big Brother Taylor. And that towards the end of the game, I mean, he just made a bad decision that cost Nebraska an opportunity to put points on the board. Yeah. Um, down the stretch, you know, that interception on our second-to-last drive, it just absolutely gutted us. Uh, we were driving. We were getting down into the close to the red area. And for that to happen, just uh, we could have had a chance to go up 42 – or to bring it to 42-35. Mm-hmm. And it was on our third-to-last possession, not our second-to-last. And then, you know, if you make that happen there and you get another stop, you get a you have that drive where it ends on fourth down with that rollout to the left. You, right then and there, you know, things could transpire differently. Maybe they don't file, follow the entire same, you know, turn of events, kind of butterfly effect. But you got a shot to put it at 42-all and send this thing to overtime. And, you know, that's why... It's kind of weird when you look at the stats. It was almost a shootout. You know, the stats don't bear out getting beat by two touchdowns. No. You know, it's just absurd. We have to pause this, Hoss. I've got to go upstairs because I can't be sure, but as I look in the monitor, I think my son took all of his clothes and his diaper off laying in bed. So (laughs) I'm going to be right back and see what the heck's going on up there. Go do your thing. I'm looking in the the monitor, and I think I see butt cheeks. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back, man. The kid was a legit buck-ass naked. And, He's a wild man. And when I opened the door and turned the light on, he looked at me like, what the hell are you doing in my room? <laughs> <laughs> so I got his clothes back on. Yeah, the, the stats tell one thing, you know, one story. The final score says another. And at the end of the day, the final score is the only stat that matters. And unfortunately for Nebraska, it meant another loss. Um, kid's trying to take his shirt off again. 
uh, we mentioned David Blau and how impressive he was. Uh, obviously, Rondell Moore, uh, the freshman phenom, you know, had a good game. Um, I thought Nebraska did a pretty good job defending him, uh, who I thought that they could have used a little bit better job uh, of, of defending was DJ Knox, who opened things up mm-hmm. early with some big runs. Um, but, you know, Lorenzo Neal Jr., uh, I not to say he wasn't a factor. I mean, his name was called a few times, but, you know, he – he wasn't he wasn't as dominating in in the middle as I expected him to be. No, I was uh, I was pretty happy with how we were able to mitigate Lorenzo Neal Jr. and you know the, he had a few moments, of course, a player like that always will. But we were able to run the ball really well. I mean, again, Ozigbo had 170 yards rushing, and Martinez had 91. And I think a lot of that has to do with Farmer being a little bit more adept at blocking a guy like Neil than Cole Conrad is. And so I thought the offensive line started, you know, clicking a little bit. Um, this low and late snaps that Farmer had were a little troubling, and those need to be worked on. But for once, I wasn't totally apoplectic about the offensive line. I thought that, you know, one of the things that the announcers really harped on is Nebraska's lack of a pass rush and they weren't wrong this is not no, this is all. not the the defensive line i mean personnel wise perhaps but it's not the defensive line that we saw against colorado and i think that's just because this is not colorado's offensive line this is a big 10 offensive line who's you know traditional big boys up front yeah Purdue's O line they, they were pretty good and it didn't help that we we're so static in our um, blitz packages, you know, when we, you don't have a natural pass rusher, you got to be a little more dynamic with your blitzing. But, man, they also were the beneficiary of not being called for many holding penalties as well. I mean, they were mugging our guys. Yeah. Left and right. Like that one scramble that Blau escaped on third down, uh, their left tackle had a jersey full of Caleb Tanner. You know, it's just the discrepancy was, I don't mean to keep harping on the penalty aspect of things, you know, officiating's out of your control. You just control what you can control, but that was maddening because they were doing it just as much as we were. And so, but I'm glad you brought up the lack of a pass rush because that's something I wanted to talk about tonight. It's, you know, and one of the things that uh, uh, Millen yeah. yeah, Matt Miller, he said, you know, whenever you have to scheme in a pass rush, obviously it, it minimizes what you're able to do, you know, schematically with, with the rest of your guys. But, yeah, Nebraska, you know, in, in the early games, you know, Colorado, Troy, they were blitzing a lot more, and I just don't think that they, you know, did that as much in, in this week's game against Purdue. It, And when you do that, I mean, you, they were – Man, David Blau had so much time to, to get, you know, stay comfortable in, in the pocket. And it just, it really affected everything from there. Yeah, I don't think that we blitzed more than about five times yesterday. And we I had, think that, what was that? I was saying we had the opportunity. We have, we have the playmakers, I think, to be able to do that. Uh, you know, they, they brought an edge rush. Uh, you know, I think they brought a, a corner or safety blitz, you know, once or twice. But, you know, you've got some good 
playmakers, you know, on, on that defensive side, you've got to you've got to let them, you know, get out there and, and try something, try try to see what'll work, you know. Exactly. You know, if you need to get exotic with you know your personnel or your alignment or you know your assignments, you got to do something. I mean, you can't cover your ass, you know, in the back end completely. And not bring pressure. I mean, if you got great coverage defenders, yes, you can. But we don't have great coverage defenders. Um, so you guys try start trying to storm the fort up front. And part of me, you know, it's kind of getting to the point where it's like it might just be a better idea to bring extra heat and try to force an errant throw or you know get pressure on the quarterback than just sitting back and manning everyone up downfield. And then when those defenders turn their back, the quarterback either takes off and scrambles or coverage breaks and he hits a receiver for, you know, crucial gain. That's, you know, that would just killed us. You know, like uh, their tight end Hopkins leaked out in coverage multiple times off of Blau being able to scramble around because the pressure wasn't getting home. They're only bringing four against five blockers. So, yeah, I mean, you gotta do something's got to happen. You got to scheme it up, and it sucks to have to scheme it up because you can't play even in the back. But I mean, you got to force some pressure because a guy like Blau, you know, mobile enough to move around, and we'll see a few more guys like that this season. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's important to remember. Yeah, it sucks to think about that. David Blau's not going to be the most athletic and there's not a knock on him but he's not going to be the most athletic quarterback we see from here on out no no we still we're still going to see you know depends on people's perspectives on guys like Clayton Thorson but we still got to see Dwayne Haskins we still got to see A.J. Bush from Illinois we got to see Brian Lewerke from Michigan State and you know Nate Stanley from Iowa is not a statue either and so it doesn't even matter if they're not exactly a you know mobile quarterback. If we give guys that much room and time, they're going to be able to scramble out of containment and make us pay with their legs. It's, you know, I think of, and this may or may not be an accurate, uh, you know, comparison, but, you know, people in the pro game for the last 10-plus years have, you know, looked at someone like Ben Roethlisberger, and this might be a homer uh, you know, statement to make because I'm a Steelers fan. They're playing. They're on TV in the other room. I'm I'm in here uh, recording with you. Uh, but you know, not. I mean, he's not going to beat many people in a foot race. But he's big enough to stay on his feet, and he's just nimble or quick enough to make something happen. You know, if he's flushed out of the pocket, or if he you know looks downfield and doesn't see anything favorable. I mean, he'll he'll be able to pick up five, six, seven, ten yards. You know a chunk of yards at at a time and you know those are you know that that's the model that a lot of quarterbacks have have you know especially younger quarterbacks who have the size and the ability that's i mean that's the go-to comparison you know is, is are they able to keep the play alive and uh we were able to see that just enough with david blau that you know man it, it came back to really bite us in the butt yeah and there's nothing worse than when you think you're going to get off the off the field after a third down, and a guy like that extends a play and hits someone who's open or scrambles for a first down. And that kind of 
reminds me of something that I said yesterday to my uh, my dad and my buddy who I was watching a game with. You know, most of the time when you get in, you know, a team into third down, you're excited. You're thinking, yeah, we're going to get off the field. This year, I almost dread when it hits third down because that's where things just go wrong for us. You know, whether it's, you know, I, it's a little bit more towards defensive play calling because, you know, there's no nice way to say this, but our first and second down calls are really good. Mm-hmm. On third down, we just get too conservative trying to play coverage instead of forcing the throw, you know, quicker throw. So anymore, you know, third and long is not our friend this year. And uh, my buddy who was uh, who I was watching the game with, he said something about where he saw a stat that we're, like, leading the nation in getting teams into, like, third and long, you know, just, you know, getting them into third and seven or more. But – these teams are converting on us with regularity, right. like uncanny regularity, like, like at a rate that I haven't seen happen hardly ever in college football. So we got to shore some things. You know, it's just the fact of life that we don't have natural pass rushers, but we got to shore some things up and scheme our way into a pass rush. We're gonna have to, we have to manufacture and fabricate one in the meeting. Which I am. Um... You know, I think somebody, I think it was one of our, I think it might have been Patrick Gerhardt of Coronation, uh, who said, can we just clone Mo Berry? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I think he'd be all right with that, Speak, speaking for him. That's a guy who, you know, we've we've praised uh, numerous episodes, you know, since the uh, the game against Colorado. The dude's playing like an All-American, and he's playing all-motor. Uh, he's playing, as we like to say, with five heart. Um, juice. The juice. We need more of that, but in, you know, different body types to, you know, to adapt to playing the defensive line, to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being a safety, being a corner. Um, but he's just so much fun to watch. I love his love his fire. He, he made a nice uh, hit in the game against Purdue and uh you know you see him being exuberant on the field. Now look, I get it to a point, you know, you you know, don't be patting yourself too, you know, on the back too much because you're down by two scores or maybe three scores or whatever it is at the time to Purdue at home on homecoming. But man, if if you make a big play, I think to an extent you as a player have to use that as fuel. Um not not to quote the water boy, tackling fuel. Uh but you have to you have to be able to I – mean, you can't just make a play and then, you know, quietly jog back to that. You have to find a little bit of fire, a little bit of uh, passion. And so I, I was – you know, when you're when you're down big and you make a, a touchdown or something like that, you score a touchdown, yeah, you're not going to, you know, celebrate like you just won the game. But if you make a big play like, like this particular time, I remember, you know, Barry, he got into the backfield or, or you know, snuffed out a screen or, or you know uh, – Something made made a big play in in space in behind the line of scrimmage, and uh, you know you just see him kind of th- that uh, you know, stretch backwards. I don't know. If there's I'm sure there's a technical term for it, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even you're thinking of the same moment. I don't mind that at, at all. And you know he he's got to be able to use that to motivate not just himself, but the ten other guys wearing the scarlet and cream in the huddle. You know the sideline. 
and uh, you know something like that even to energize the fans that that are there and looking for a reason to get excited yeah i mean it, football's an emotional game uh even if you're down you make a good play you make a big play you know you've earned the right to be a little fired up you know use that you know swagger that juice you know carry it over to the next play you know emotions in football are infectious you know that you might your celebration your big play it might kind of getting one of your teammates, you know, kind of revved up and ready to rock. So, yeah, I love the love the energy that Mo Berry plays with. I thought at times, uh, and and this is, I don't know, been his, you know, his season kind of, but uh, DiCaprio Boodle, at times, brilliant, and at other times, facepalm, you know. Uh, yeah. Need to get a little bit more consistent, but... I, what I really here here's a name that I kind of forgot was on the team, Eric Lee Jr. Um, yeah, I, I'd forgotten until he came in. Yeah, and I thought I'm like, didn't he graduate? No, but that just shows that they were. I think they'd had enough of Lamar Jackson at the time because uh, he mm. sat. Uh, we didn't hear any more from him. Um, I made the comment, and you tell me if if I'm out of if I'm out of line for this. But I made the comment to my buddy Josh, you know, as I'm watching the game, and I said, you know. Trey Neal might have hurt his draft stock by grad transferring to Nebraska instead of, you know, going, you know, turning pro after last year. And he responded, he's like, did Trey Neal have draft stock? I, said, I don't know. But I feel like being on this team is not helping him any. Um, you know, he had he had a couple plays, but – and I'm not taking anything away. You know, I, yesterday was not his, you know, best sample size. Um he brings the familiarity of the defense, the terminology, things like that. He's he's almost like another coach out on the field because he worked with this staff for the last two years. Uh, but just seemed like he didn't didn't have his best game against Purdue. And uh, we say, you know, we say it, it's no secret, but their games are not going to get any easier. You know, no, they're we're getting into the crucible. What what's, you know. what's your take on Trey Neal and and the thought that I kind of uh, uh, espoused to to my buddy? Well, I think that on the surface, you know, there's so much going wrong with the defense, but you know that when the safeties are impacted on a play, that it's easy to say you know it was on Trey Neal. But I think a lot of it stems from he's trying to do a little too much actually in covering up other people's deficiencies because okay. he does understand. And it has the entire, you know, defense conceptualized. So, I mean, he's not, you know, a star player by any means, but he's not as bad as, you know, he's made out to be sometimes. And, and again, I, I, I hope that didn't sound like a knock on Trey Neal. Yeah. Um, you know, just when, where you look at where he was a year ago versus where he's at now uh, and, and the the highs of last year and being undefeated in the the – being part of the, even for one year, being part of the rebuilding process here, you know, in Lincoln, it's it's got to be tough on him. I, I wonder, you know, I, the, the coaches saw something in him, brought essentially brought him with them to Nebraska. But I, I wonder, you know, if his heart is maybe still in Central Florida. And I'm not judging the kids, you know, the, the man's, uh, you know, heart or or will or, or desire. Uh, but man, it's like he's like, man, I left Orlando. I got to play in the cold, and you know this is. I, I don't know. Uh, I, probably, probably a mistake just to, to bring it up at all. 
Um, let's talk about the offensive side. We, we talked a little bit about Divino Zigbo. Uh, we talked about Adrian Martinez and his mistake. But, man, he also made <laughs> – bless you. <laughs> he also made some uh, terrific plays uh, with his arm and his legs. And, uh, you know, he's threading the needle. I, you know, a couple plays that, you know, late in the game he missed on, you know, missed high or missed wide to his intended target. But I said this after the Colorado game, uh, and I'll say it again, Martinez to Spielman, I love hearing it. It's almost magic every time those two connect. Yeah, it's, they've got one hell of a connection going on. And you saw it, like, on the wheel route that he threw to J.D. for, J.D. had two touchdowns, correct? Yes. Yeah, the first touchdown was off the wheel route. Yeah, it was beautifully placed. And the second touchdown was on a fade route that, I mean, that was a big boy throw by Martinez. Not a lot, not a whole lot of freshmen can make that throw. So that connection is going to, I mean, it's going to be huge in the coming years. I mean, JD's only a sophomore. Martinez is only a freshman. So it's going to continue to develop over time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was just, Martinez was just dealing the ball out. He's a good distributor. And um, probably wishes he could have a few passes back, but that's what happens when you live with a freshman quarterback. Right. So, man, like, nothing about yesterday discouraged me about Martinez. It just, it was another flash of seeing what this guy is going to be capable of, you know by the time he's an upperclassman, like what he's doing now. Is, sure. You know, he's way ahead of schedule. So it's going to be what it's going to be really interesting to see as he gets more experience under his belt and he becomes more of a wily, you know, veteran quarterback to see what kind of fits he can deal to a right. defense. What, you know, we talked about uh, Ziggy's big day. Where does that leave someone like Greg Bell? I mean, are, are they? I know Greg Bell got in there a little bit, but I mean, when design design when Divino Zigbo ran like he ran, you've got to put him in the starting lineup. Especially at you know a year ago, he had a hundred plus yards against Wisconsin. You got, you got to get him in the backfield. Yeah, um, you still rotate Bell in, uh, whether it's situationally or when Zigbo needs a little bit of rest, but. You got to think that Zigbo really grabbed the reins at the tailback position. Uh, that was huge to have a you know decisive north-south runner who picked up yards, could pick up the tough yards, and you know showed some good speed too. And there's a tweet yesterday. I can't remember who it was by. It might have been uh, Brian Christofferson. He used to write for the Journal Star, and now he's with Husker on or 24/7 Sports. But he was saying, you know running back that we needed ended up being the guy that's been here all along. Sure. And so his emergence is huge. You know, you, that that was sorely needed. And I was really surprised by some of the speed, he, you know, the speed he showed in the open field on some of those sweet plays because, you know, he hasn't always been that kind of back in his career. here. So that was, that was nice to see. And, uh, you know, you Mo Washington, you know, he'll be back on Saturday after, you know, I think Frost said he missed time with illness. And then moving forward, like, you just, you got to roll with Divine at that starting position at tailback. He's earned it. He brings a spark to the offense. So 
yeah, I think uh, Bell's carries probably diminish a little bit. Let's talk about the the receiving court. the The tight ends were not used as much. Uh, you know, Jack Stahl had a couple looks, a couple of catches. Kurt Raftel got in there uh, late, but you know, kind of a non factor uh, were were the tight ends. But uh, and we talked about uh, JD Spielman, Stanley Morgan Jr. You know, again, he's he's a trusted known commodity, not just to Husker fans, but more importantly to Adrian Martinez. What was that? You kind of broke up there for a minute. Oh, I, was, I was saying Stanley Morgan Jr. Uh, is, is a known commodity. You know, Husker fans are aware of what he's able to do, uh, but Martinez trusts him as well, and you could tell because, you know, he the, he and Spielman were, you know, with, with the exception of uh, Cade Warner, were kind of the, the only guys getting many looks uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and that's just a testament to Stan's ability. Uh, he's he's just a damn good football player. Knows how to get open. You know, being a senior, he understands DBs. You know, in terms of leverage and positioning, and you know, spatial. You know, the spatial awareness that goes into playing that position. And you know, it's a shame that we won't. Ha- he won't be around for when this thing starts turning around, but. He had a big game, as usual. Uh, yeah, I, Stan, God, I was just thinking, did he even get many targets? I said big game because he had some crucial catches, but did he get even many targets inside the red zone now I'm thinking about it? I mean, it just seemed like it was always JD. I, I think you're right. Um, and that I part of me thinks that that might be – I, mean, I don't know. I, I, part of me, part of me thinks that it might be, uh, you know, the possibility that defenses are, you know, carry or are keying on him a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. In the game against Purdue, he had four receptions for sixty-nine yards. I mean, he's only got seventeen receptions on the season with you know for two hundred sixty-nine yards and only one touchdown. I you know I think that that's, uh, you know, that says a lot right there. Um, but he's just not getting the looks. And, and like I said, I think part of that is, uh, you know, the, the the fact that he was uh, a, a, a on the watch list for the, you know, what is it, the Blitnikoff? I'm, I'm not sure which one's Yeah, the, Blitnikoff. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I just didn't know, you know, what uh, uh, award went to the, the receiver, so thanks for uh, helping me out there. But, yeah, I think I think they might be keying on him a little bit, but cre- to his credit, and I'll say this to his credit, uh, he's still out there, still battling, and still, I think, uh, at least I perceive, he's still a leader uh, on the field and on the sideline. I, you know, it, it, it's tough for him. He's he's certainly seen, you know, better days um, in 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 a Husker uniform, but I absolutely love the fact that he's still out there battling. Yeah, it's a testament to who he is as a person, you know, in addition to being as a football player. And and something like that will go a long way, even if, you know, even if he doesn't get the stats this season, you know, like he had last year. Uh, his dedication, I think, will go a long way at the next level because I think, you know, the – I think he's a guy who will get an opportunity at the combine, um, and I think that there's a team that will take a chance on him in the draft. Uh, he, he's 
proven. I mean, he's think about what he's done with the quarterbacks that he's had. You know, uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. So, um, you know, we we talk about him like he's already you know out of the system. We're only four games in. We've got eight more left, um, and we hope that you know he's healthy. Obviously, knock on wood, and, and productive in all eight of those, and gets you know the the touches and the looks and and things like that that he deserves because he he absolutely does to you know be out there and, and get his name read a little bit more and, and and get you know pad those stats a little bit. He, he's earned it. Yeah, he definitely has. He's he's been a contrib- solid contributor. You know, great player since the time he's a freshman. You know, it's kind of a shame that. But when his career's done, he's kind of going to fall into that category of guys who are good players, but because they didn't play within a specific era, no one really talks about him. Right. You know, down the road. Because he's definitely, you know, it's not like we're exactly a bastion of great wide receiver players. <laughs> but he's he's one of the all-time best that we've had, if not the best. I mean, if you're going off, you know, having 900-some yards last season and, you know, Basically, by the time the year's done, you know, being a four-year starter. So, yeah, I mean, it's a shame that he didn't. He's not going to get to play on teams that contend for sure. something. Because that would, you know, look a lot better to a lot of people. Um, yeah. When we look at, at the Purdue game, uh, and and we're going to put a bow on it here. Do you have anything else really to discuss about about that game? I mean. We've given we've had our grieving period. It's twenty four plus hours after the fact. Do we do we have anything else really to talk about in that Purdue game? Anything else that jumped out to you? Uh, speaking of jumping, we, we'd be uh, amiss if we didn't talk about special teams again. Um, oh, I think I think we're gonna leave that one alone. Can we can we just say briefly? I don't blame Caleb Lightborn for slipping and falling and, and rolling, essentially rolling a punt 30 yards downfield. I mean, hey, the the result of it was better than what I thought it was going right. to be. Right. I, like, I was like, oh, crap, somebody's going to touch that, you know, at the line of scrimmage or something, and we're going to be screwed. Yeah. But, but fortunately, everybody just kind of cleared out and uh, and let that one go, and it got up to midfield. So to his credit, that was, that was one of the more surprising uh, oopses of the day. Uh, he, he's not had a good year, uh, which is a shame because the Lord knows he's had, had plenty of opportunity to in, improve on the punting this year. It's just not gone his way. Um, you know, hope hope that we don't I, going forward. I hope that we don't have to see Caleb Lightborn as much in in, in punting situations. But uh, certainly hope that it gets figured out. I still go back to that Michigan game, and I'm yelling at. Uh, uh, you know the TV, yelling in my quiet voice at the TV of how is that not roughing the kicker? How is that not rough, running into the kicker? I mean, it just seemed like Caleb Lightborn spent a lot of time on his ass at, at the big house. But uh, you know, when you're, I guess maybe when you're in the situation Nebraska's in, uh, you know, outside perspective, whatnot, you're not going to get the calls that you know maybe you would have got 20 years ago. So who knows? Yeah, definitely. We're definitely not privy to some of the same treatment. Right. Um, all right, my good man. And anything else that you have uh, uh, to discuss before we wrap this up? You know, just it's 
the losses are the same theme every week. You know, bad calls, no calls, missed assignments, execution issues, you know, some questionable play calls. And, you know, I'm kind of past the point of saying, you know, each week what I've been saying, you know, give it time, it's going to get better. I mean, I'm not saying pull the plug on anything because give it time, it's going to get better. But I think at some point this season, you know, when you're 0-4 and you're very looking down the barrel at starting out 0-5 after next week, we are what we are. And um, at some point you just got to build for the future. And, you know, that goes into you know, maybe start playing young guys and just roll from there. You know, there's 42 points to Purdue. While disheartening, you do have to consider that Brahms one hell of a coach. He's, you know, even Frost says that Brahms probably got the best spread offense in college football right now. And so, I just wish we would have been a little bit more competitive defensively earlier in the game. So we settled in down the stretch. But uh, 42-28, you know, spend 24 hours, you flush it, move on, get ready for Wisconsin. And and I like what you said. Uh, I think on Twitter, probably in the Slack chat room, and and uh, just we hope that uh, Jeff Brom gets picked up, and goes somewhere else sooner rather than later. Yeah, so we don't need him turning Purdue into a Bryles era Baylor of the Big Ten as yeah. we're trying to rebuild. Yeah, it, it would it would uh, compound our our issues tenfold. So, um, all right, man, that that'll put a bow on this episode of the five heart podcast and uh we'll be back in at the end of the week to preview wisconsin and that means going to madison and that means jumping around uh, and it means prime time on the big 10 network and wisconsin's uh you know they're ranked and nebraska two different two completely different teams and uh we're gonna find out you know we're we learn a little bit more about this Husker team every week, win or lose, and uh, they've got a battle ahead of them. We're going to find out, I think, a lot about Nebraska when they take the trip to uh, Camp Randall this upcoming Saturday. But uh, we will preview all of that again just a few days from now. And uh, for my good friend and uh, a podcast buddy and, and a fellow Husker fan and, and uh, a guy who I told him before we go on the air, it's a, it's a true joy. Win or lose, it's a true joy to uh, uh, visit with him every week. I mean it when I say it. Uh, For Hoss Reuter, I'm Greg Mahochko, and we remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn week. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. (laughs) 